He sits shivering in a cold, dark room. He's, he's so cold, he's shaking so much that he, he can't stop. It's, it's something that just keeps going. It's involuntary. He's cold and he's, he's feeling just completely alone. And he's surrounded by, by these walls of rock and stone and dirt and even dripping water behind him in this damp, wet place. And before him, it's not another wall with a door. It's bars as he's locked away in this cell. There's a little mat on the ground that he sits on that's his bed, a makeshift stool on the other side, a little box for a table. There's no bathroom. In the other corner over there is a bucket for that use. He sits there in this place, and he's just feeling completely alone. He had a couple friends. One's gone. Maybe he's dead. He's not totally sure. One person's with him. Previously, he'd had... He was traveling with groups of people all throughout these cities to city to city. And he's preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus. But now he's just in this room and he thinks, God, what is going on? What am I doing here in this place? Like, why is this where you'd have me? How come all these people that were coming along with me, that were on mission with me, we were in this together and now all of them have abandoned me? And I'm just here, and I'm cold, and I'm alone. I don't know everything that Paul was thinking as he sat in that cell. But Paul, this person that we think of as this great hero of the faith, this amazing legend of Christianity, I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. We think everybody must have been with this guy. This guy, he must have just had it. Like he's going around from town to town and they're celebrating. He's got the biggest church in town, right? No. Everybody left him, it says. And what we read today shows that. And it shows part of his response and part of how real he is. Paul is this incredible man of faith. But I can't help but think of some of those times when he thinks about sitting in a cell being completely alone. It must have been dark. It was lonely. And he writes to Timothy and he says some things like, hey, will you just please just come and be with me. I need that joy. Will you please just join me? And will you bring my coat before winter comes because it's freezing here, he says. Bring my books. I need something to do. It's real. It's real life. And he writes these words in 2 Timothy 1.15, and these words are real. He says to Timothy, he says, You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. That's a heavy sentence. We'll talk about some of that in a minute here. But all who are in Asia turned away from me. He says, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Okay, so he's, saying, he's naming names here. He's, telling, he's saying who they are, who these people are. Imagine if like right here, and I'm saying, Todd, we're calling you out. You know? Greg, this is on you, bro. You've abandoned me. You've deserted me. Why have you done that? Like, I mean, that's intense. He's, he's calling people out. He's naming names. He says, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. This one guy, for he often refreshed me. And was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. 
All right, so he says, you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia abandoned me, all right? Everybody in Asia deserted me. Now, let me just kind of help just for one second with this, because this is a little bit maybe misleading. You think of Asia as from the Middle East to Japan, you know, include all of China, like Russia, include India, the S Southeast Asia. You think of like all of that region of the world as Asia, what we think of. That's not what he's talking about, okay? He's not talking about that. What you see here, it's like modern-day Turkey. This is what's called Asia Minor. And there's a province on the west end of Asia Minor called Asia. That's not confusing, right? <laughs> like, okay. So you've got this whole thing is Asia Minor in these regions like Galatia, Cappadocia, all that. And Asia, this province of Asia is on the left. However, that province of Asia is the place where he had traveled to, experienced all sorts of success. He's established these churches. These are places like Ephesus, like Colossae, like Philadelphia, the original real one, okay, Sardis, some others, okay, some of these, these cities that the gospel has moved through, and they've established churches in, and he says, all these people have abandoned me. And so we think about this whole thing of being ashamed or unashamed. It's a theme in this book. As Paul calls out these people, as Paul names these names, He's talking about people who are ashamed, and he's talking about people that are unashamed. You even see in some other parts of the scriptures, you see verse, uh, in, I mean, in this very book, in 2 Timothy 1.8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Verse 12, he says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And then here in this passage, he talks about how On Onesiphorus was not ashamed of me and he met my needs. And it goes, he talks some about that in chapter 2 about shame. And it's all throughout this book. We actually almost called this series Unashamed. We, it's called Worth the Risk. We we're kind of going around like, what, what should we title this? And that was almost the title because it's so prevalent in this book. And in these few verses that we're looking at, you see, you see people that are ashamed and people that are unashamed. Now, the most famous verse that Paul probably has, has written about this is Romans 1, 15, and 16. You won't see that on the screen, but Romans 1, 15, 16, Paul says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, which where he is now in prison. And then verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul is claiming I'm not ashamed. No matter what's going to happen to me, no matter if I get thrown in prison, no matter if everybody abandons me, no matter what people think about me, no matter how my reputation shifts or changes, whatever that is, if everybody looks down on me, I don't care. It's all about the gospel. And then here in this verse 15 is where he calls out these people that have all left. Everyone in this province of Asia has turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So these guys, they, they bail. They leave him. Everybody leaves him. I mean, you think, like, you would think Paul gets thrown in prison, and it's like, you'd think you'd get, like, the masses are coming and, like, protesting, right? Like, free Paul, free Paul. Like, it's some sort of hashtag free Paul movement, whatever that might be. And it is not happening, all right? Everyone is leaving, Everyone has abandoned him, deserted him, betrayed him in this way. 
And he writes these words, and it might be, even think it's weird that he names people, and it's maybe seems even harsh. This a couple things to consider. One, this is a personal letter to Timothy, all right? It's not, there's other letters to churches, to cities. This is a personal letter. So he's calling him out in this uh, personal letter, but I think that he thinks it's important to know who's with us and who's against us in this mission of the gospel. He, he names names a lot in this letter. If you kind of flip around in 2 Timothy, he names some for good. He names, uh, well, first he names uh, uh, Lois and Eunice, Timothy's mom and grandma. He names then some others like closer to the end. He talks about Luke and Mark. He talks about Priscilla and Aquila. He talks about this guy Onesiphorus in this passage. So he's calling out some names for good reasons. But then he's also calling out a lot of people, actually. If you flip through this, he calls out a lot of people that have done some bad stuff or people that have bailed out on him. Here we see it in our passage in verse 15. If you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he names these guys Hymenaeus and Philetus. And he's like, says... <laughs> He says, avoid worldly and empty chatter. It will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. And then he mentions these two guys' names. And so, like, I mean, it's pretty harsh, actually. And then you've heard me say, this is actually one of Paul's more gentle letters. <laughs> and it is. So, but he still is coming, he's coming in hot. Chapter 4, at the end, verse 9 and on, he, he calls out a guy named Demas, a guy named Crescens. says, they've, they've loved this present world and have deserted me. Uh, he calls out a guy named Alexander the coppersmith who did him much harm. And on and on and on. So he's calling out people by name. And so Timothy would have known these people. Timothy probably has like journeyed and, and served alongside with Paul and these people. And he says, hey, watch out for some of these people. You don't want to be involved with them. You don't want to go deep with them because they aren't going to be good for you. And they also are going to give up on the gospel. And the thing is, is Paul is saying it's not just about me. What it's about is the gospel. The good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And we think that there's a lot of like a heresy. There's a heresy happening in this area of Ephesus that Timothy is. There's a heresy of a couple things. One is that this, the resurrection has already taken place. There's some other heresies of that our physical body, or like our, everything physical is evil. Therefore, Jesus did not have a physical body. Therefore, Jesus could not have resurrected physically. He's just this spiritual sort of essence, right? It's a heresy. No, Jesus came in bodily form, died in bodily form, and rose from the dead in bodily form, okay? That Jesus, fully God, fully man. But most of all, I think it's a heresy of a works-based salvation. Paul preaches a gospel of grace. We are saved by grace through faith. All right? It's not of works. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And these people are coming in, I think, with wanting to go. There's a lot of people wanting to go back to the old way, the old ways of Judaism, back to works. And you think about whether it was Judaism of the day or it's like the whole Roman pantheon of gods and worship of emperors and all of that. That's all of that is works. It's all about what you do will get you saved. Whereas the gospel of grace, it's all about what Jesus has done will get you saved. It's all about what he has done, and we believe in him, and we're saved by grace 
through faith. And so you've got these people that are wanting to go away from the truth of the gospel. Paul preaches the true gospel. And you think it's probably, I think in a lot of these more works-based religions, it's a lot easier to exert control and power over people. If you can get people to, you have to do these things that I say. And so part of me is like, part of me thinks, some scholars think, like some of this stuff is where these people are wanting to continue to have authority and power that they can have control. And Paul's message of grace makes them have to give up their power and their control and the roles that they've had in people's lives. And so Paul is saying all this, and he's saying, look, know who you're, who's with you, know who's against you, know against the gospel. And he says, look, it's good to spend time with people that encourage you, of course, but it's also good to spend time with people who challenge you and will call you out on things and want you to be better. Both of those are good. But what's not good is to spend time with people who are preaching a false gospel and have abandoned you and deserted you for their own personal gain or otherwise. Don't even bother with that. He says, be on guard against them. Avoid chatter with them. And then support those who've been abandoned. Now, Paul doesn't go into a ton of detail. We kind of know a lot about what's going on from other uh, parts of the Bible and from other studies. And we're kind of put, trying to understand this because when he writes to Timothy, he's writing to his friend and he's writing to someone who knows the details. And so it's kind of, it's an interesting book as we read this because there's like a lot of like, well, what did these guys really do? Like, what, who is everyone? What do you mean everyone in Asia abandoned you? I mean, are you being a little bit dramatic? Like, what's happening in there? I think Paul's feeling some feelings and expressing them in this writing because it's probably not actually everyone literally deserted him, but that he is feeling like these people have all bailed out on him for the most part and, and like some of these details that already we know just Timothy kind of knows what's going on. There's conjecture about this guy Onesiphorus. Is he alive? Is he dead? Why is he just talking about his household and not him specifically? Do we think that this guy possibly has been a friend to Paul and is now, is now dead? We don't know. And only Luke is with him and he's there alone. But in the midst of this, thinking through, what does this look like then in our lives? How do I not be one of these ashamed people? Like, I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. But that, that shouldn't just mean, that, that doesn't mean like I can never have disagreement because we need to be able to have healthy disagreement. It's good to have disagreement or disagreement with religious leaders and all of that. That's a good thing. We should be able to have healthy disagreement and sharpening one another in that kind of way. And so what does that kind of disagreement look like without being one that abandons everything or deserts everything or leaves all of that? How can we think about, how can we disagree without deserting or abandoning our family? Because as we've talked about already today, the church is a family. The church, we are a family. And like all families, sometimes we do that really well. We act out our roles together as family members really well, and sometimes we blow it with one another. And sometimes we are like, we all agree on everything, and sometimes we don't. I think we've experienced a lot of that this last year. It's okay. Like, we all can love one another and disagree with one another on a lot of different things. But what are those things, like, what is so important to you 
that if you think about in your actual family, like your actual at-home family, mom, dad, brothers, sisters, children, all that, like what is so important to you that you would leave your family over it? That should be like the absolute most important heavy things, right? Like that should be, when we think about our faith then, we think about this family of faith, what would we leave our family over? I certainly hope it's like the most important issues about what is the gospel. We don't leave our family over secondary issues or non-essential issues, but we commit to growing together and loving one another. We're not ashamed of one another in that way. But Phygelus and Hermogenes, they don't stick with Paul because it wasn't worth the risk for them. It wasn't worth the risk of the shame. It wasn't worth the risk of the stain of their reputation because he's in prison now. It wasn't worth the risk of Oh, are we, if we're lumped in with him, are we going to end up in prison? I don't want to be ending up there. I don't want to get killed because of this because a lot of these guys were getting killed because of all of this stuff. All right? Like, so for them, it wasn't worth the risk. It wasn't worth the risk of the loss of power or control, all these different things. It's not worth the risk for them. So they're ashamed of the gospel. Now, then we get to this other guy. This other guy named Onesiphorus. Can you say that with me? Onesiphorus. <laughs> Good luck. All right. Uh, no idea if I'm saying it right, but you know, hey, we just go with it. Um, okay. So you've got <laughs> Onesiphorus. We do our best with our training in Greek and Hebrew to say these words in the right way. Uh, but it says, it says this, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. And then it goes on to say how he eagerly searched for me when, I was in, when he was in Rome and I was in Rome. He searched for me. And so this guy that is not ashamed, he was not ashamed of his chains. He was not ashamed of the gospel that Paul preached. And it says that he refreshed him. I love that when you really kind of sit and think about the word refresh. You think of someone like in Paul's state where he's, he's lonely, he's probably frustrated, people are leaving him, he's locked up in prison and all of this, and he's just, imagine like it's when you're thirsty in the desert, you've been dragging yourself through the sand and the heat and the sun, and then someone walks up to you with a cold, fresh, clean glass of water and you're able to drink it and you just feel that ah oh, it's just that cleansing energizing um flow of that water into you and it's just like thank you so much when that thirst has been quenched that a good friend that someone supporting you and encouraging you can bring that kind of refreshment when you're in a hard time and Paul was in a hard time here, and he needed people like this guy on Onesiphorus to refresh him, to relieve that tiredness. He says he searched for him and found him. That this guy that you never think about, you might, you probably like, you probably read your Bible a ton of times, and then we said Onesiphorus today, and you're like, who? Right? And you think, I don't know who this guy is, but this guy was able to search for the Apostle Paul. He searched for Paul, found him, and then was an encouragement and a refreshment to him. And I love that he cared enough to look for Paul, and that, that meant something to Paul. Have you been in a time in your life where you've been in a hard time? You've been in a time of grief or a time of struggle or a time when everything's going wrong, and there's that one person that noticed. 
right? There's that one person that saw when nobody else saw how you were feeling or what you were going through. When that person came to you, that feels so good, right? That person, that's the unashamed person that sees someone going through something maybe that everybody else is like, I don't know if we want to be hanging out with that guy, right, or that gal. But they're willing to come and to meet you in your time of need. And they're able to come and, and encourage you. And it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit at Easter, but like that, that Genesis 3 where, where Adam and Eve are in the garden after they've sinned and God says, where are you to them, right? And it's like we talked about how God knows where they are. He's asking about their heart. It's not a question of their physical location. It's a question of their heart. And I think even in this, he searched for me and found me. It's like, it's, he, he searched for how I'm really doing, right? He searched for where my heart is. And to be those kind of people that are going to help search for where the people in your life or the people that are, like, really, the people that are really bold with the gospel. There might be people in your life that are bold with the gospel. And everybody else is kind of like, yeah, that, that person's a little bit weird. Man, they're always talking about Jesus. <laughs> and maybe you could be someone that comes alongside and is an encouragement to them. You search for how they're doing in the midst of that. And then you help refresh them in the midst of that. What is God calling you to do with that aspect of reaching out like an Onesiphorus? And I have to think that this guy, Onesiphorus, is doing all of this because he was changed by the gospel. He's experienced this gospel of grace, and he really has experienced the true Jesus, who Jesus really is and how Jesus has transformed and changed his life. And so then he goes and he wants to pay attention and and support others who are suffering for Christ because he was changed first. God loves us first, and then we love God, and then we love others out of that love from God. So all of this sense of, am I ashamed? Am I unashamed? It should come out of recognizing that God loves you. God has changed your life. God has transformed you. He has taken you from a state of death to life, of eternal suffering to eternal life with him. God has completely given you that grace freely, undeserved favor. And we have to think, Lord, is my response to be ashamed then of that or to be unashamed? And I got to be real, this, this day and age, this is hard. People think that we are weird. People think that we are bad. People think really wrong things about who Jesus' followers are. They might think it for some reasons because of some bad and weird stuff we've done, (laughs) but it's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And to be bold in our witness as a follower of Jesus. But we know that today... If we're a bold witness for Jesus, some people are going to think that we're weird. Some people are going to think that you're bad. Are you ashamed? Are you unashamed? It's a hard message when you really think about it. It's a really hard message. It's a hard message for all of us. You have those moments when God gives you an opportunity. You sense that there's an opportunity, a moment to talk about him with someone. And it's easy to not do it. It's probably easier to not do it. 
right? It's easier for how your day will go. It's easier for how those people will look at you and think about you and all of that, especially if it's in some sort of work environment, like God forbid, you know, like it's just all of that. This stuff's really hard. But how do we think about the gospel? We do this because he first loved us. We do this because he transforms us. We do this because he has given us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. The very Spirit of God dwells inside of us and will empower us to be able to do it if we step out in faith. Step out in faith. I'm trying to pray more and more. God, God, I just pray more and more. God, give me these opportunities, Lord. And help me to be bold as I step out in faith to talk about you with these people. Now, being an unashamed Onesiphorus, which is a good word, not a bad word, okay? Being an unashamed Onesiphorus can be boldly sharing the gospel, but it could be also searching for people who are hurting, right? Searching, it can also be coming alongside those who are sharing the gospel and being an encouragement to them. That could be people that are doing that around here. That could be people that are doing that overseas. That could be people who are about to go do that overseas very soon because they hope to get there very soon. That um, could be visiting people in their time of need. That could be encouraging. Like when you see someone that is bold in their faith, you come alongside them to support them. Maybe when other people are kind of like, oh, that's awkward. I don't know how I feel about all that. You're loyal to these people. You're loyal to the true gospel. Now, you think this is a really dark moment in Paul's life when he's writing all of this. This is a dark moment. Like, this is, this is a moment where, from the world's perspective, you're looking at Paul, and then you look at these other guys, these Hermogenes and Phagellus. You look at these other guys, and you, like, these guys are the ones that are winning. They're not in jail. They're probably actually more popular and more well-liked by people. Everybody's left Paul. Everybody's abandoned him. Probably to stay with those guys, like follow whatever message they have. Their, their church is growing. Their, you know, gatherings are getting bigger. They're getting a, a better following. They're getting more Instagram followers. They're getting, you know, better Twitter, <laughs> whatever, okay? All of that kind of stuff. They're growing and growing and growing. Paul's in prison cell, and all the people that supported him have left him. In the world standards, he is the loser, but nobody's reading the book of Hermogenes today. Nobody's reading the book of Phygelus today. That was a false gospel and a waste of time. And we have to consider what of our actions in our lives are we doing that are going to be more popular with the world around us, but are just going to die, that are worthless deeds to be thrown in the fire, thrown in the trash. It's a hard message. It's a hard message. It's a lot easier to be popular and liked than it is to be Paul and to speak this truth of the gospel. Now, we always have to remind ourselves, do they think I'm weird and bad because I'm weird and bad or because I'm a Christian? Like, you can still be weird and bad and be a 
have a true gospel. So you got to think about how can you like be kind and gentle. We're going to like, as this book goes along, we're going to see how we're supposed to deal with these kind of people. It's like to gently instruct them, to come alongside them. There's all sorts of things. It doesn't mean we're, we're out there to put people down with the gospel. If they think we're weird and bad, maybe check if we're weird and bad, and then just see maybe it's just because of Jesus. So think this through for yourself. Where are you? Am I ashamed? Am I unashamed? The scriptures ask us to search our hearts. Psalm 139. I'm going to read a few verses from the beginning. And then the end as well. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. So God knows where you are. God knows how you feel about this. God knows you're deep down, the true stuff. There's parts of me that I know, like I feel ashamed of feeling ashamed, right? Maybe you can relate to that sort of feeling. An opening that you had, an opportunity that you had that you didn't meet, that you didn't step into, that you didn't take advantage of. God knows, God knows your heart. God loves you in the midst of that. In the midst of loving you, he's, he's calling you out for more. Like he does for the adulterous woman that, that Jesus stops everyone from throwing rocks at her to kill her. He doesn't want that to happen. But he also says to her, go and sin no more. Right? Like God, is, God calls us to grace, but also says, okay, now go and live in obedience. Then the end of Psalm 139, let, let this be our heart, okay? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. We have anxious thoughts about being bold for the gospel, right? Try me, Lord. Know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God sees you. He knows you. Ask him to search you and then he will lead you in that way. And so I'd like for you to reflect for a moment here. I'd love for you just to close your eyes to get yourself in a position to just pray and think about this. I'm going to ask you some questions that I just want you to process between you and the Lord. It's not between me and you. It's not between you and the person next to you. It's just you and the Lord. So just with your eyes closed, just prayerfully think through these questions. Is my Christianity a secret? Do I get nervous and embarrassed when people talk to others about Jesus around me? Do I try to change the Bible to make me more comfortable? Am I encouraging and refreshing those who are on mission for God? Do I search for those who are persecuted for the gospel to serve and pray for them?
Am I ashamed of certain commands of God in the Bible? What would my friends think about me being part of a church or my coworkers? How do I feel about people knowing I care about certain issues that the Bible speaks about? Do I pray regularly for opportunities to bless others, to pray for others, and to share my faith? Continuing with your eyes closed, I'm sure there's some of those things that you feel really great about, and I'm sure some of those things you feel ashamed of being ashamed. God does not want shame for you. Sometimes, guiltiness, feelings of guilt, lead to conviction, which leads to repentance, which leads to healing and forgiveness. And God is kind towards you. God's kindness leads us to repentance. God doesn't look down on you for this stuff. God has grace. But God also wants you to believe for more. To believe that he has given you power and authority and strength beyond anything that is of yourself. It is all of him. And the very power of God dwells within you. Believe it. Own it. Give him thanks for it. And then go out and live it. We can be unashamed. But we will never be if we try to do it in our own strength. So Lord, we need you, God. Lord, please help us to be an unashamed church. A church that bold with the gospel, the true gospel of grace, and takes the gospel out with love and kindness and graciousness in the way that you do, Lord. Lord, we need you in all these things, and so we, we just give it all to you. We let it all out, and we surrender it all to you, Lord. We love you, God. Heal us, forgive us, empower us. In Jesus' name, amen.